Downloads of this show are available on Podomatic.com and the Podomatic mobile app. Welcome to Radio Free Brooklyn. You've got Objection to the Rule live. Uh, and I'm uh, your host, Violet Barron, here in studio with uh, uh, host Raymond. Welcome back, Raymond. Hello, everyone. Glad to be back. <laughs> and we've got uh, Teresa back with us. Welcome back. Nice to have Thank you. Thank you. Hello, everybody. Hello. And uh, we have Emily new in studio today. Hello. How's it going? Good. Good. Uh, so um, this week we're going to talk uh, hard time for Trump's associate, um, Republicans in Congress uh, working against the emergency declaration and breaking ranks to do so, uh, conflict in uh, Venezuela and energy uh, at stake, and um, some fair hikes on the MTA, among other news. Uh, so welcome everyone. It's nice to have you here. Thank you Thanks. very much. Yeah. Good to be here. How's everyone been this week? Well, you know, I, I feel like February and just disappeared into March and January. I don't know if everyone else was <laughs> like that, but it felt like January was like like two months long. It felt like by the yeah. end it was like January seventieth. Yeah, I forgot and it then, was still February just now. <laughs> I had people just this week who were who were like, "Oh yeah, that was the end of January when that happened." And I'm like, "No, it was just like." A couple weeks ago, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah. No, no, that was Valentine's Day. Mercury was definitely in retrograde this week. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Everything felt backwards. But, you know, we're right. getting, we got a nice weird kind of spring rain this morning, washing away all that gross snow. It's supposed to be 50 degrees tomorrow. Oh, yeah. of great. course. Great. More of this up and down weather. It'll be mm-hmm. good. Yeah. Uh, so, um, let's get right into it with uh, local news. Um the MTA is back in the news this week after MTA board approved fare hikes for uh, for riders. Uh, the single ride fares won't increase, but seven day and thirty day unlimited cards will rise in price. Uh, and Metro New York is reporting that these hikes won't still won't be enough to cover the five hundred million dollar deficit, uh, which is expected to grow to one billion by twenty twenty two. And uh, the MTA board isn't happy with these measures. Uh, One board member told Metro, the fare increase, which I do support, is one that does not help solve the problem. All it does is help us keep treading water, which is encouraging news to hear from an MTA board member. So um, I'm curious, uh, who do you guys think this is going to hit the hardest? You know, it's interesting that the um, the individual rides won't increase, which is what I always immediately think of when I think of a fare hike. Like, every ride I take is going to rise, and it's not. But, you know, there's a lot of people who do use those unlimited 7-day, 30-day. So who are we talking about here? Who's in the majority of who's going to see this? The everyday New Yorker like myself. Mm -hmm. Um, My job has transit checks, Mm -hmm. so you can uh, pre-order it like three months at a time. So I'm definitely going to feel that Mm -hmm. um, because I have to do it. I mean, I'm a New Yorker, you know, so that people who do this every day, um, it's probably going to feel it the worst. And they're the ones who have the 
most time on this great subway. So yeah. <laughs> it seems like the people who are making the decisions right now too are really lacking in any kind of understanding of how this is impacting individuals. Like really taking for granted the the individual impact of a like a fair hike mm-hmm. and and just seeing it more as like a a business decision almost without yeah. any concept of like the constituents, which is really bothering me because it's like you see MTA getting more and more treated more and more like a corporation or mm-hmm. something like yeah. that when they're not. And that's not even how they're set up in the operation with mm-hmm. the city, you know, right. They've got a very collaborative, cooperative yeah. relationship with the city. And a lot of tax dollars are going into MTA. So it's like, you guys need to remember you are beholden to the citizens mm-hmm. as, as much as an elected official is. Yeah, that matter, you know, and that's a whole issue too, where it's um the state government running the subway, controlling the finances that mm-hmm. run the subway. So like Governor Cuomo, who and people upstate who are controlling the day to day of the subway system that they I doubt they, they don't they, take they don't understand what it's like <laughs> getting on there at nine a.m. on like a Tuesday morning, right? yeah, <laughs> like seeing the twenty minute wait for the L train up there and just cringing. Yeah. Exactly, Absolutely. yeah. And every time that you go in there and like you get used to budgeting also, like transportation is a budget no matter where you live. Mm -hmm. And so it's like you you get set into it where my family lives. You get set into a concept of how much money are you spending on your vehicle Mm -hmm. and, and, you know, insurance and gasoline and these kinds of things. And like you see what happens when gas prices fluctuate and the response that people have to it. And, and, you know, and it's usually listened to by elected officials, Mm -hmm. but the response is the same when you see the rate hike in the MTA, but people don't listen. (laughs) It's becoming almost like a car note, you know, like where you would think that it's cheaper to be a Metro or a a train rider as opposed to having a car. It's it's slowly that gap is like closing up. Right. Which is shocking because, you know, New York population is only going up. It makes more sense rather than less to use public transit now. Exactly. uh, Cost wise, not so much. Um, another uh, another good question is: um, Is it fair to ask us to pay more for service, even as the system itself is deteriorating? You know, I, right. uh, my train today. First of all, there was no L train once again, but um, my G train passed right by the. Um, I think it was um, was Bedford Nostrand uh, mm-hmm. stop because that that stop is completely out of commission. You know, mm-hmm. they're doing some sort of. Uh, total repair work on that um but the fare is the same you know like uh yeah so what is that like why why is this coming on to riders mm-hmm. well it's a 24-hour system i mean there's so the flip side of this and the argument that makes it to where people are like well you've got to be understanding the mta has a lot that they deal with they're 24 hours and other cities don't do 24-hour systems, and other cities don't have as complex and as intricate of a, of a public America, transit system. Yeah. Other cities even in out, America. Even outside, of, even outside of America, the ones that yeah. are this in, in, even close to the same size as New York's are a lot more expensive. Yeah. And yeah, not only that, but we're one of the only, well, only cities I've ridden the public metro on where it's one flat rate mm. to get from one place to another so in dc you pay more to get farther and it's a much more complicated, yeah. complicated system up front but it's it's so like the mta is trying to figure out how to make enough money whereas like one person going from you know all the way in the bronx all the way you know to coney island 
like in the Warriors, like is paying the same rate as someone who's commuting two stops to get to work in Manhattan and how the complications of that financially work out. You would think that they would give some sort of break to people who are on the L train line. Like I was thinking about this, like just, you know, you can like submit something that has your address or something on it and say that this is your regular commute. So, and they can make some sort of like transit check option for people in that area or something so that Mm -hmm. it doesn't seem like they're just constantly taking from us. Right. That's a good point. Has any of you, have any of you used the the bus yet? The the L train? Is it, no, I mean the L train like shuttle bus because these are supposed to be the solutions. Another thing, like just thinking of talking about stations being closed down or the main issue for me is has less to do with, well, I'm paying for this. I should get it. I mean, you were, you're, you're paying for something and you're getting something. What you're not getting is the consideration of like, why can't I know like planned, uh, you know, track change. Why isn't there an easier way for me to be able to fit this into my, daily schedule or fit this into my budget or things like that why does it have to constantly be fluctuating why do I have to live in a state of it should be this next month but that all depends on the MTA well I think (laughs) it's because they don't really I don't think they they set plans but they don't have like an actual system of you know I don't know what their checks and balances are but the reality is like say you're working on a track and then it's just not finished yet or something goes wrong or somebody gets sick, you know, mostly during the winter and the summer times is when it trains the worst. If you ask me, um, mm. I think sometimes they can't plan. So maybe that's why they have these apps and everything, but I don't know how efficient and up to date that right. stuff is. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. But at the same time, it's shocking because, you know, like uh, a system like this is so based on planning, right? It's so based on engineering, <laughs> so based on numbers and uh, scheduling and all of that. So why, why does it feel like, you know, you're tossing yourself into the wilds when you're riding a train in New yeah. York? You okay. just like walk downstairs and be like, we'll see what happens, yeah. <laughs> especially on the weekend. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so, uh, moving on, a, a new law signed by Mayor de Blasio this week authorizes a pilot program in East New York and Cypress Hill, Brooklyn, that will allow for the construction of basement apartments. Um, and the city's going to help local landlords with uh, loans of low interest or no interest up to $120,000 for these conversions. Um, and part of the intention is to regulate already existing basement and cellar apartments, mm-hmm. which are uh, pretty which are pretty much always illegal and they can be unsafe, uh, whether electrically or with the construction, um, and also to increase the number of legal affordable housing units. Um, so, you know, on its face, to me at least, it sounds like a pretty progressive program. You know, it's going to give loans to local landlords, um, many of which in East New York and Clinton Hill are um, people of color, maybe low-income people who have uh, held on to these properties for a while, and it's going to help them legitimize their, mm-hmm. so, so, you know, they can profit, there's more affordable housing. Um, but uh, I'm wondering who might stand to gain the most from this, because, you know, we've got we've got opportunists at every corner mm-hmm. in New York, right? right? Mm-hmm. So um, do we think that there are other parties besides, like, those on the face of this who might be standing an advantage here? Well, obviously, the people who are dishing out these loans, like, where is it coming mm-hmm. from? Where is the money coming from? If I think if it's no interest, then there may be more equality in this deal, but, like, they should be. They're coming out of the government. They should be no or low interest. But it should be coming in the form of... I think it should be no. More like a... <laughs> yeah. 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 Just because I mean, of what, na- yeah. what the neighborhood is, you know? Because the interest will kill any loan for anybody who goes through a, a struggle or something. Right. I mean, I'd be surprised just because of like how... Because, I mean, you're right. It's a very progressive 
concept and program. Um, I'd be surprised if there isn't, there aren't ways for people, some individuals or like independently owned homes and things like that that can make it a grant instead of a loan, even. Yeah. Because what what, the, what we're talking about here is repurposing space, mm-hmm. which is one of the, in my opinion, it's one of the best things you can do to counteract gentrification. Because, like, we do it here in this very neighborhood that we're in. There is no, this is an industrial zone. That's why the building we're in is an office building and not uh, an apartment building. They can't build residential. Everything has to be repurposed. Mm -hmm. And so what ends up raising the value in this neighborhood isn't brand new developments that suddenly raise the value in this space of different Mm -hmm. properties Mm -hmm. and apartments. But it's the people and it's the community that you build so not a fake concept of right. value, which mm-hmm. is just a brand new developer coming in and, and doing all these new things, but a genuine and organic one. And it's because we repurposed these buildings because we had to. But then it's kind of created this thing where we're, you know, we, we're not gentrifying in the same way. Like corner stores aren't all of a sudden 18000 instead of 6000 a month just because a building was put up, you know? Yeah. We're repurposing, and that's what I see with these basements is like this repurposing of space and let's, you know, af- right. it's, it's, it's about that and affordable housing and, you know, using the space that we have instead of. I like the to. grant idea. I think that's a good idea. And even if it was just a portion of them were grants right. and then after that grant ran out, this would be the next option. I think that's a good idea. Right. right. Yeah. One thought I had was. Um, you know, a lot of the landlords are still um, people who are local and have lived in the neighborhood a long time. But even in places, um, uh, uh, East New York is one of the farthest out neighborhoods in Brooklyn, um, and it's one of the historically poorest. Um, but even there, um, some you know, early uh, pioneers and quotes of um, real estate people have started buying up those properties, you know, and they've gotten them for low rates from people who have lived in the neighborhood. Um, so I'm I'm thinking that uh, those could be uh, potential people who are gaining from these yeah. loans, mm-hmm. so, like entrepreneurs. There's right. definitely this is mm-hmm. definitely going to be exploited yeah. speculators. Right. I, yeah, I want to yeah. know how they were, how the city was sort of watching for these. Um, people, you know. I think it's difficult to also, though, like watch for this. Yeah. A lot of times they'll they'll do these kinds of things and just accept certain losses, and they'll be like, some people are going to exploit this, but and enough people are going to benefit from this that it's like whatever. Right. I mean, yeah, right. well, there's the, only so much regulation. The, also, the end goal is the creation of the housing. So, from their perspective, I don't know if they care who the landlord is, right? You know, I mean, and that's that's a larger community concern, I think. But from a governmental regulation point of view, it doesn't seem like that's the goal to right. create local landlords. The goal is to create local housing. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's, they don't care. I mean, yes, it is benefiting a number of landlords and a number of like property owners. But the purpose is to benefit tenants. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Right. yeah, that's a good point. So uh, moving over in Brooklyn to uh, Williamsburg, 21 new cases of measles have been traced back. (laughs) I can hear those groans. Uh, Traced back to one Williamsburg yeshiva, which allowed unvaccinated kids to attend classes while an outbreak was happening in the wider city. Uh, The new cases bring the total number infected to 121, 101 of whom are children. Um, So uh, I'm wondering... uh, should the city, should the yeshiva see some sort of retribution from the city for allowing these kids to um, spread measles? I mean, once you start placing blame, 
what a con- like maybe the measles is the like there's the punishment itself. It's, yeah, it's such a <laughs> deep. I mean, but and we're also talking like the community, right? But like it's such, because there's that's a slippery slope, yeah, to start mm-hmm. placing blame because then you can also like there's precedent set to where you can start blaming parents, for example, yeah. and then you start talking about like you. But there, I mean, there is the notion that like yes, you're free to do whatever you'd like and nobody can be forced to take vaccinations but there's nothing illegal about a school for it's like saying we, we want to roll your kid right. mm-hmm. and so um i don't know if it if the onus should be put on the school because that's actually kind of complicated and you worry about litigation and things yeah. like that mm-hmm. i'm telling these families like you have to do this or else your kids can't come here and then you get taken to civil court and like who's going to help you who's your advocate when that happens yeah you know? i work at a health science college um and we have our vaccines since we just had a accreditation visit not too long ago and while you can um deny the vaccinations the reality is like this is health science you will be taking blood you will be you know there's a massage program you will be unveiling you know in front of your classmates so we recently um have made like really strict um just follow up on this because it's one of those things where this is like the most metropolitan place ever people come here constantly like the new york demographic is so wide and vast with people from all over the world i think there can be a level of in order for your students to enroll, they must go through these, you know, these required vaccinations. Right. But I mean, and then it's the choice of the parent whether or not right. you want to go to that school. But I think there should be something in place because when I was growing up, you had to have your shots to go to school. Yeah, me too. Mm-hmm. there was no question about right. that. You couldn't like, enroll without your vaccination. Yeah. And it didn't matter what kind of school it was. It was just it was just set that right. way. So was, some some of these progressive yeah. ideas you aren't the greatest, you know. Yeah. Well, I mean, and I think the issue is like there like there are parents who don't want to do it, and we're addressing that. But that's separate from like, are we can schools these legally do yeah, that? Right, right. And so until we make some kind of precedent or make some kind of policy that is like a like yes, you can then it's difficult for me to be like, B, if you don't, you're in trouble. Right. Yeah. You know? Well, but there are there are it varies by state certain laws like that, and I know that California right now is going through a similar measles outbreak, unless mm-hmm. I have the state wrong, because they have laxer laws regarding mm-hmm. that. And according to my quick Googling, um, vaccinations are required in New York State unless for very like certain circumstances, including sincere religious beliefs. Mm-hmm. So the yeshiva, I'm assuming, the into the a religious umbrella, they were able to say, like, right. we Be don't care. Right. But it, it is they do try and regulate parental control over, like, measles, you know, measles mumps rubella all of that um but if the parent says this is you know against my religion or whatnot but i think what's interesting is that that kind of rules out the reasoning of i don't i like it's if it's not religious if you don't believe in science you can't say no right and that becomes another complicated but this is like a public health concern have you ever had the measles before anybody in this room thank god God, right i had chicken pox too and it's like it's really awful especially as a child to have to go through something like that you know Mm. can you imagine like it just it it can affect everybody on the train you know something like that one of these communal spaces that we all have to be a part of so talking about highly infected i yeah read this horrifying thing that apparently it's one of the most contagious diseases known to man someone can with measles can sneeze in a room and an hour later someone can go in that room and catch it which is why we regulated it's wild (laughs) which is why we like which is why so much money went into figuring out a vaccination and And now we have it distributing it yeah that's where new yorkers are superhuman (laughs) (laughs) No, there's some, there's some like first world 
world things being taken for granted with yeah. these families that are like, you can't make me vaccinate. Yeah. Like, you know, I know so many people living across the globe that would, would kill for, kill this. for yes. a government that had a, a yeah. system of vaccinations like we have to save their families, their yeah. children. Yeah. We're talking about we're, if this continues, we're going to see like uh, like a child like mortality rate among infant mortality rate mm-hmm. go up, maternal as well. Like, it's already go, on a decline right now. Yeah, it's 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 gonna it's going to have an effect on it because it's so contagious. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the purpose is like you shouldn't be going to school to where you can be uh, right. spreading this. Like, look, okay, you don't want to do vaccinations, right. but. If your kid has a like, maybe they can rank it or something. Like certain, you you know, vaccinations have um, certain diseases have a higher risk or easier. They're easier to, you know, get. So maybe they can rank it, have a ranking system. These are required, and then. You right. can kind of like not on these. Right. Because, you know, yeah, we're all sitting here and we're adults. I think we've all been vaccinated. Uh, but even if everyone who can be vaccinated is, there are some people who cannot, you know, and there are some people who are particularly vulnerable because of another condition they mm-hmm. have. Uh, some of the elderly, mm-hmm. really tiny babies who aren't vaccinated yet. You know, those all those people populations all stand uh, to be contaminated, you know, to be infected uh, if there are some people who are choosing not to and who are curious. Mm-hmm. I think the kid in the yeshiva who spread it did not show signs of it. So, mm-hmm. so that's, that's great. Common too. Right. Yeah. You're not showing symptoms, and that's doesn't mean that you can't spread it. I mean, we know we have there are tons of viruses that spread that way. I mean, you get the flu; they tell you 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 automatically have to stay home for three days because you're highly contagious. So, and that's something Mm -hmm. we go through every year. Mm -hmm. The flu cases are actually up this year. Yeah, I think in the case of the yeshiva, the other thing, uh, the other issue here is uh, this. The fact that it was a yeshiva, you know, it's uh, deep within the ultra-Orthodox community in Brooklyn, which we've talked about before on the show, has its own um, issues and uh, issues with power, you know, mm-hmm. representation in the in the government and uh, moving outside of state and city government to do its own mm-hmm. things, you know, mm-hmm. and it, it becomes an issue of, you know, freedom of religion, yeah. you know, and um, it's a very insular community, so... What do you do in a community that makes its own rules, has a huge population, and uh, is not uh, is not cooperating with right. city? Right, and making decisions that potentially, well, not potentially, that making decisions that do affect everyone mm-hmm. around them. Mm-hmm. You can't be insular when it comes to like viral infection. Exactly. Right. You know. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't want to get in trouble for saying this. I personally think religious exceptions are dangerous on a large, on a broad, it like can you know, can be dangerous sure, yeah. on a broad scale and across the board. Um, because, and we also live in a country that's hypothetically religion doesn't matter. Secular, yeah. Hypothetically, all the laws should not have religious exceptions. Um, so I think it, it gets very complicated about, um, what we as a society, not value, value feels like the wrong word, but what we as a society prioritize, prioritize, make exceptions for, and why we make exceptions for them and how that affects everyone else. Yeah. Yeah, definitely yeah. food for thoughts. All right, we're going to take a quick break. Uh, and we, when we come back, we're going to hear uh, world news uh, with Teresa. We're going to hear about Venezuela, uh, Turkish missiles, and um, a uh, disappointing summit with North Korea. <laughs> to say the least. <laughs> La petite est chargée, mon phone est déchargé 
Ma calache est chargée, la petite est chargée Comme un RS4 qui revient alourdi de tanger La petite est chargée Dans le sac de sport, on parle en tonne, y a pas de sanger La petite est chargée Le brolique est chargé Couchez-vous, dégagez Le quartier cuit, j'aime trop boire à la bouteille Elle tape blassé Alice au pays des merveilles La grosse est retournée, elle est trop chéchard Elle a un de ses pétards, je crois que je vais rentrer tard Ma colocataire est trop bonne, je la change tous les jours comme Airbnb on sort les trucs, les têtes à tête, c'est bel et bien fini comme le RB. Non, regarde, je vais pas fourrer la même qu'hier. Je bouffe la tête, j'aime oui comme une serpillière. Comme mes de Bebelouet, je suis trop fier. Ratatata, tu finis sur une civière. J'ai deux téléphones, un pour ma go, un pour la tienne. On fait du saloir Roya car ça coule dans nos veines. Les keufs me contrôlent, coup de fil au bas. La go est trop chaude, là le feu. J'amène chez Jorel, prends tout ce qu'elle veut. La petite est chargée, petite est chargée, la go est chargée, la petite est chargée, petite est chargée, la go est chargée, la petite est chargée, petite est chargée, la go est chargée, la petite est chargée, la petite, la petite, la petite est comme en gueule, elle est chargée. Mon réservoir et mon Philippe ont quelque chose en commun, gros demande à Patek. Mes petits ne font pas de musculation, ils préfèrent tout tirer dans les pecs. La petite et j'écharge, faut que je reparte au bon char. La petite et j'écharge pour le salaire à Mota, on se met les motards. Demande à Dixon, à Glenn ou bien Nelson, on a des noms Carly, Tarly, Jefferson. Sur ma haut de marche, j'attends que mon heure sonne. Connu dans le monde entier, toi t'es personne. Je roule trop de pelles, je suis trilingue. Un hein, médiament brille comme le crâne à acrylin. 78, ça finit en 6-9, toi ta meuf te trompe, t'es vilain. vilain. Des millions, des millions, des millions, ma go est trop chargée, mon bord est trop mignon. Des litrons, des litrons, des litrons, une cuillère, une seringue, un morceau de citron. Quand tu galères pour avoir un fit, on peut appeler ça du crossfit. 3, 4, 5 matchs ou de belvédère. Un négro, je vais prendre l'air. La petite est chargée, petite est chargée. La go est chargée, la petite est chargée. Petite est chargée, la go est chargée. La petite est chargée, petite est chargée. La go est chargée, la petite est chargée. La petite, la petite, la petite est comme mon gueule, elle est chargée. La petite est chargée, petite est chargée. La go est chargée, la petite est chargée. Petite est chargée. La go est chargée, la petite est chargée, petite est chargée, la go est chargée, la petite est chargée, la petite, la petite, la petite est comme mon gueule, elle est chargée. Hey yo, Fouini, la petite est chargée, la petite est convoquée, la petite est validée, la petite est homologuée, gros j'ai rentabilisé. La petite est chargée, la petite est chargée. Welcome back to Objection to the Rule, live from Radio Brooklyn. That, uh, that was La Fouine, who is a French-Moroccan rapper. Um, we're all uh, enjoying this, uh, this vibe. So, um, uh, Teresa has world news for us this week. Uh, what's on tap this week, Teresa? Thanks, Violet. All right, so the U.S.-North Korea Summit. Let's get into it. Um, it was held in Vietnam, and... It was between King Jong-un, I never say his name correctly, (laughs) and President Trump, and it came to an abrupt end with no agreement. Uh, North Korea wanted the U.S. to lift the sanctions in return for a partial dismantling of its nuclear weapons program, but Trump was demanding more serious commitments to denuclearization uh, before he would provide that relief. So, do you guys actually believe if a deal was reached that North Korea would eliminate all of its nuclear weapons? Oh. <laughs> right? I mean, I feel like that's with, a little bit much. We've been dealing with generations now at this point of presidents 
going to North Korea to deal with the regime that has been existing there for forever. <laughs> yeah, and so the, yeah, there was there was never any intention. And for me, that was obvious from the very beginning. If you guys remember, like the obvious, this is the second summit, mm-hmm. right? The second one with Kim Jong. It was the yes. third. Yeah, no, this was the second. This yeah. is the second. Um, and you know, after the first one, there was like all these agreements, and they had this whole show of like blowing up their nuclear testing right. area right. which was all fake exactly and everybody yeah. was kind of saying that and we're like yeah. you just watch and so like he went up in there everybody knew that this was it i there it's the trump way of approaching these kinds of things because he went up in there basically the agreement was like remove all sanctions and you're going to pay for all of the training that's happening right now just across the border in south korea and you're going to pay us pay it so you're going to pay for it and then you're going to pay us 50 percent of what it cost that was a part of this whole agreement which is wow. why it's like what do you why think would this you is do that? this is not trump university dude yeah. this, is, yeah. this is the relations between the united states and north korea exactly like, you know quit trying to pretend like you have something to front when you don't like you're a bankrupt miserable failed business owner <laughs> so don't treat this that way because much greater people before Trump have gone to try and make a deal with this regime and failed because yeah. they're not about to make a deal. They want to be on the same plane as... Right, right. I think that's like, that's one of the most important things to consider. Like, North Korea does not consider itself like a, you know, less than nation. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it, it wants to be, it's made itself so clear over, you know, all of these American, you know, administrations that it wants to be considered like just as full of, you know, national uh, partner as any other country. And it's going to keep, like, you know, building up its nuclear muscle uh, as long as people are still trying to diminish it and diminish its standing. Mm -hmm. You know, I think that even if... the U.S. did remove all of its sanctions. I don't think it would dismantle all of those. I think, I think, like, you know, I'm not sure what would take what that would take. But I'm also, you know, this is my personal politics. But I'm I'm not necessarily convinced that sanctions are, you know, effective, yeah. necessary, mm-hmm. helpful. You know, yeah. No, that was are. that's my second question. Are sanction impositions the most effective way to manage diplomacy between yeah. us and them? Yeah. It's a good question. Yeah, about people. Sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead. I mean, the 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 purpose of it is to be punitive. Mm -hmm. Like, this is a punishment. Mm -hmm. This is something that we're like, you know, like the 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 sanctions that Obama was creating with Russia and things like that. Before all, you know, the the changeover happened with Trump, we were moving in the direction of sanctioning Russia, and it's because of their actions against humanity. So it's like a we are not only are we not going to trade with you like we like we are with North Korea, um, but not only we're we not going to trade with you, um, and it's going to be incredibly difficult for you to get like a student visa or a tourist visa, mm-hmm. these kinds of sanctions, and it's and it's not it's not in an effort to like help improve the economy and diplomacy between the two nations. It's in an effort to say, like, if you don't play by the global rules that right. we are setting at the UN or any of these kinds of things, then among other nations, but the U.S. is going to not let you play. Exactly. If you don't play by the rules. That's how it's supposed to be. (laughs) And so the issue with it, the problem with it now is when you get people like Trump in there who want to use sanctions to, you know. Martyr. And and manipulate the (laughs) economy and make money for the people. There are ways to make sanctions that directly affect your, like, 
ability. economic yeah. position, mm-hmm. like increases your revenue mm-hmm. if you own businesses, which I, is why we should be divesting if you're a president. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I think it's a little bit disrespectful as well for him to come and come at King Jong like that, because like you said, he's trying to show that he is a power on the world stage. So how dare you? Who would do that? Exactly. We wouldn't do that. Right. Why would you ask something to someone who wouldn't do the same thing? And it's not fair. They need to protect themselves. And so. Well, that's my, what they feel. Yeah. Yeah. Like, that's I mean, how it is. Like, because they've they've in some ways made themselves, um, you know, uh, separate from everyone else they've done that they've kept that and their way of doing things is their way of doing things i totally get that but i personally would not release things like that. if it's not affecting my economy if it's not doing anything like that and which it is but in the same context it's not stopping them mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. so why would you yeah. even come at me like that i feel like that's probably what <laughs> he was saying put yourself in those shoes and yeah. being like look if somebody was coming to the u.s being like look we're gonna keep our right. nuclear weapons yeah. But you get you rid of yours, yeah, like and this. all of them, and that's and that's what we've decided. Right. If you're on this level of like what we're like we're equals, you don't tell me what to do. Then you take that position mm-hmm. that North Korea is taking of like right. don't tell us what to do. Yeah, and so um, you know we 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 have the sanctions because they f- literally fence people into their country. We yeah. have the sanctions because we don't believe that people should be governed in that way. And we're trying to adjust that, but not because it's helpful for our economy, not because it improves like the like the global relations and things like that. It's because there are certain things that we're like, look, if you're a government that governs in this way, then you're not welcome at the The table. table. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I think people might say, oh, you can't consider North Korea this way. You know, they're so isolationist. They've taken themselves out of legitimacy as a world power. You know, they're the hermit nation. But uh, I think your points are like. Like, our sanctions aren't effective. You know, mm-hmm. considering them outside of, you know, the norm isn't effective. Cause That's what they, they do anyway. Right? <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. not going to change. Yeah, and then uh, we had some news from Venezuela this week, too. Yes, Ooh. Venezuela. They're, they're going through it right now. <laughs> um, another massive power outage swept across Venezuela beginning Thursday at rush hour, bringing their subway system in Caracas to a halt and forcing many commuters to reach their destinations by foot. Despite having vast oil reserves, the government exports its oil, and Venezuelans rely on hydropower for their energy. Years of scant investment in hydroelectric infrastructure combined with drought have crippled the energy grid. So the U.S. Secretary of State Mike Pompeo blames the energy shortage on President Maduro's faulty leadership. Uh, Just back in February, they turned away some truckloads of food and medicine that were given to them um, in a humanitarian effort at their border. And Maduro's government um, celebrated this as a victory against the regime change. Yeah, Yeah, that's really I can't blame them. Well. There's a there's a long dark history of a U.S. government trying to interfere in South American politics, mm-hmm. and however whatever side you fall on in terms of the legitimacy of the current presidency, it, like it's just very cringeworthy to 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 hear President Trump try and get involved in on multiple levels. So I have a weird perspective of this too, yeah. because I don't remember why, but I signed up to get alerts when Marco Rubio tweets. <laughs> <laughs> And the funny thing is, like, I don't remember why. When I started getting them, I'm like, why am I getting these? But by the time I realized why, I was okay with it because I was following this weird kind of track of, like, if you follow an individual senator's tweets, you see a lot of their underlying agenda. Mm-hmm. So Marco Rubio only tweets Bible verses Ugh. and 
tweets about Venezuela. And this has been for like the last two years, guys. So I've been, and like this well before all of this happened. So I think a part of it is because the amount of fossil fuel money that goes into Marco Rubio's Mm -hmm. campaign. Um, And, you know, there are all kinds of like regime conflicts happening all over the world. Like I saw a, a tweet from Marco Rubio that was like, "Who does this with the medic medication and, and food going in? Who would who could do this and who would support somebody who does this?" But I hope I, I don't get in trouble for saying this. But uh, I just I just you know commented I was like the Gaza Strip dot 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 like that's one of the things that's had like if we're going to like take this like position on this then. Where what, where are we with it like spreading? So I realized at that point I was like, this is an agenda. Like you don't actually mm-hmm. care about this. Mm-hmm. So he was tweeting about the power outage, and he tweeted this photo of like vines growing up, some like just a photo of vines growing up a power like tower, mm-hmm. and that they're not taking care of their oh, infrastructure God. and this is the kind of thing. But I'm like, I'm like, don't play with me, man. This wasn't an organic, like sudden accidental power outage. Somebody did this. Yeah. Yeah. They actually turned the switch on and off. Yeah. Um, I've been to, I think I was in Trinidad and Tobago and they had do that with their water source. So a lot of the residents have these huge water tanks outside their house because every once in a while you'll come home and nothing will come out of the drain or they say, don't flush the door toilet or whatever and so we literally was like being sprayed hosed down after coming from the beach outside so people make these choices for whatever reason that they see fit you know know why it was going on like that in in trinidad um no the the person that i was there with her father lives there Mm -hmm. um they really they i think they had something to do with just supply and demand or something like that because it's actually a pretty big country trinidad Mm -hmm. um but I, it, it was foreign to me. Yeah, definitely. They, but they were just super okay with it. So they don't even know. Right. It's hard to imagine, though, as an American, just like water being shut off. Well, or yeah. Just, as an American, not in Flint, Michigan. Yeah. Or right. It does it, happen. It, Stuff like exactly. that happens here. Um, and if you think that yeah. are, are like politically, like, uh, for example, like gas prices are politically yeah. used. And I mean, for example, like the, the there is... There are reasons to make people afraid to like put it out there and like, look, this regime is so terrible. They can't even keep up with the infrastructure to keep the power on. And it's like that's a that's a like a a hook for for political entrepreneurs to be able to go in and be like, see, this is why Mm -hmm. we need to go with the other person. And I'm not I'm not stepping in here and saying I know which regime, which I know which one seems like it's the more. Fitted way of governing for fitted regime for the global like kind of mm-hmm. development of democracy, mm-hmm. and it's not the current one. But I do not like the way that the Republicans are leveraging the conflict in Venezuela to advance their own like economic ambitions. Yeah, you know, and who's it helping? Right, you know, who's it helping really? Because at them the end, they're donors. It, all yeah. the money, honestly, like who's benefiting financially from every position, from what position they take. Yeah, I think it's really sad that the people on the ground in Venezuela have no, like, no right to even talk about this. They don't even share this information. Um, you know, they get their information from travelers and other, you know, places. But it's really kind of sad that they don't even have a seat at the table to say, well, what's going on? Or can we be a part of the conversation? Because this is millions of people that are affected mm-hmm. about this. And it happens all the time. Like, right. this is another 
you know, another one. This exactly. is like a regular thing for them. So it's really unfortunate because even the, even in the hospitals, you know, uh, later uh, I read also that in the hospital, some of the nurses, they're monitoring incubators and children and babies with their cell phone lights. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't think about those people that do this type of work all the time that are being affected by stuff like this. And it's out for hours of a time. You know, think about how many people are on respirators or assisted living, you know, those sort of situations. There's so many people that are affected by this. I think they need to listen to them. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. And then uh, we had some... uh, some discussion about sanctions over in Turkey. Yes, and it goes on. <laughs> the U.S. State Department warned Turkey of sanctions this week after the country acquired an S-400 mission defense missiles from Russia. Um, they're saying that their involvement in the joint missile defense program will be reconsidered if they take part in this deal, and it will lead to potential sanctions imposed by the U.S. Washington fears that the system is not comparable to the Western-made NATO, NATO systems and that Turkey's military access to both systems would allow will also allow Russia to gain knowledge of sensitive information about the advanced fighter jets. So Turkey's playing both ends against the middle. Um, Considering the state of affairs in the region, which side do you guys think have the better case? Turkey. I think Turkey. But also, like, I'm predisposed to that. Um, Having, like, even having just, like, in in my little experience with Middle Easterners, like, in in my time in Iraq and meeting individuals from Turkey and learning more about Turkey and the difference between Turkey and, say, like, Iraq, Iran, Afghanistan, Mm -hmm. Syria, and these kinds of things. They actually have a very representative government. They actually have more women in their government Mm -hmm. than, I think, any other democracy. Hmm. Quite possibly. So there, I mean, there, there are many areas where they miss the mark, obviously, also. But the in terms of, like, how they're doing democracy, I think that they're on the right path. And I think that Russia is on the very wrong path. Mm-hmm. And so I say automatically, Turkey. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, there was um, the, the, oh my gosh, Blanking on names, but a crackdown on journalism on journalists there a few years ago. If anyone remembers, like there, there's some. There's I mean, been a number of that. Yeah. There's been a number of things happening worldwide the last years that have been very alarming, and I must say, my anxiety just spiked. I didn't know that happened. My anxiety just spiked a little bit. Yeah, my like heart rhythm chart. Hearing all this. Ugh. I mean, Turkey's definitely at an advantage point, but they're kind of like in the middle, you know, like geographically and Mm -hmm. um, even with their laws of, you know, I think both sides. But I think it's smart for them, considering where they are geographically, to have as much access to to protect themselves or whatever, be engaged in this way um, as possible. I think it's a really good point. Like geographically speaking, I think that's the biggest reason why Turkey is in the position that they're in. Because where they sit and who on what sides of where they sit geographically are fighting. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So, you know, I think that's the reason for them to go that uh, go in that direction is the purchase of the system for this system for approximately one billion dollars worth Turkey risking its relationship with NATO. Well, you know, NATO's a little bit up in the air now. Right. Yes, I mm-hmm. understand. I was like, yeah. if, right. like if we, I mean, the shit that we're doing is <laughs> right. is questioning our relationship with NATO. So, yeah. yes, but does it matter right now? I think you at know? one point when NATO was not in a position as in right now, it made sense to have you know total alignment. But I, with its questionable relationship with everybody at this point and it's largely our fault i think Mm -hmm. um i I don't blame them 
I actually think that it makes sense if they have it and it's, it's less there. Uh, the S 400 is actually um, less than the other uh, deal that they had. So I don't know. I think it makes sense for them to partake in whatever they need to do to stay safe. Yeah, I agree. I'd personally be more for disarmament. Yeah. yeah, no, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, but it's understandable with this breakdown of these historical treaties, uh, countries will want to protect themselves in different ways. And I think it's also interesting, because we're going back to like, uh, okay, who who are we to go to North Korea and say, like, shut this down, mm-hmm. but we're not going to because we're going to be right. more responsible with it or whatever. Yeah. What are we, what are we setting ourselves up? So we, we're putting in like, nearly a trillion dollars every year basically i mean like three quarters of a trillion dollars Mm -hmm. into our defense at this like we if we want to talk about disarmament um i i i like to live by the 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 like the morals of like if my house isn't clean Mm -hmm. i'm not going to tell you how to clean your house Mm -hmm. and so it's for for me the first thing that we need to do before we start to go especially to nations like turkey which like for me i think like they're on the right path in some areas better than we are quite progressive yeah Mm -hmm. um who are we to go and be like like this is what you have to do like this is what we want you to do Mm mm-hmm but to to try and put it in any kinds of terms of like if you don't do this we're going to do this i don't think is even right. right. It's just not going to work. Right. Yeah. Well, yeah. is the issue that they have the weapon or the fact that they got it from Russia? That they got it from Russia. Right. Yeah. It's And it's, why did they go to, I guess, go to through Russia and not through NATO or, I don't, I don't know. They're they not going to get it from NATO, Right. Like, right. You know. mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. All right. We're going to take another short break here. Uh, Mohamed Salah, uh, a tribute to the uh, Egyptian uh, soccer player by uh, Lafouine. And when we talk, come back, we're talking hard time for Trump's associate, uh, Republicans saying no to the emergency declaration and a wide ranging election reform bill. Stay tuned. Check 
Allez, tu gagnes pas le premier soir, c'est su pas le premier soir. Pourtant, ça fait des snaps de pute et ça se prend pour Mère Teresa. Ils aimeraient me voir tomber, ils font des rumeurs à la con. Trop tard, les gars, je suis blindé, je suis comme la voiture de Macron. Quand j'ouvre les yeux le matin, je suis toujours plus riche que la veille. Quand t'ouvres les yeux le matin, tu te fais sucer par ta vieille. Fouini, babe, fouini, babe. J'ai une bomba, c'est my bed. J'ai une solia sous my bed. J'arrache tout, je me barre au plaid. Y'a que des racistes là dehors. Quand t'es en chien, personne t'aide. Ils seraient déjà ballon d'or. Objection to the Rule, live on Radio Free Brooklyn. Did you know that you can listen to archived episodes of this show at RadioFreeBrooklyn.org? We've got lots to hear and catch up on, and you can check out all of our RFB shows uh, online at uh, Radio Free Brooklyn and Potomatic.com. So, um, now let's hear what's happening in our corner of the world. Uh, Raymond, you've got some news for us. Oh yeah, let's hear the national news. Bringing it in here. So, first... After a jury, we're talking about Manafort here. So he was uh, convicted in Virginia of eight charges, including bank and tax fraud. And after a three-week trial last summer. Uh, so now he has been sentenced. We just went through this process last week. I think that I'm still kind of in shock. But then also reading statistics, which we can talk about, like I'll, we will share. But um, So Paul Manafort, he was uh, sentenced last Thursday to less than four years in prison for financial fraud. Uh, sentencing guidelines have recommended between 19 and 24 years. So, uh, you know, I guess the first question that's on everybody's mind is like, how is this fair? Mm-hmm. How is this fair? Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. Did you see the um, explanation they gave? Oh, well, he's done so much good things and he has, you know, a clear past. Like, come on yeah. already. It comes down to like, the way that these things are, are, are sentenced, though. Like, these, these judges follow precedents. And so, what I was mm-hmm. reading as this was developing were people were like digging into the data. And he actually was a little bit above average on sentencing for these kinds of crimes. He was a little bit above average. And that's what's so wild about yeah. it. Mm-hmm. That's what's so crazy. I saw, I saw like a number of individuals who have committed crimes that have actually had a greater effect on the individuals that were uh, the victims, mm-hmm. um, where they're going to prison for like seven months. Yeah. You know? Well, it's like who's making the sentencing decisions, you know, and who and who are the people and like the types of crimes. And it's, I mean, it, there's, you can go so broad or big or small on this, but it's like, you know, if a judge recognizes themselves in the criminal, like another white male, my relative age group, like you, you see their humanity in a different way. And like, oh, he's sick. And like, oh, I feel bad for him. Whereas opposed to like a white judge sentencing a person of color and be like, you know, like, they're not identifying whatsoever. Oh, yeah. No. And I think that's, that's the history of this country, first of all. But it's just really awful that this is like on a grand scale. Mm-hmm. Like everybody's watching this. So it's almost so overt. That is some you don't even believe in a justice system. Yeah. You don't even believe in it. And what happens when people don't believe in a justice system? Mm. 
they don't follow the law. Exactly. So it just makes things worse. And I I just feel like even for that purpose, because it is on a grand scale, he could have did better than that. The guy could have got parole after two years. They could have handled it later if they wanted to lessen the sentencing. But as a what what this public discourse is supposed to do is set a precedent. Mm -hmm. And if you don't set a precedent when everybody's watching, you know, then it just. It just makes everybody just want to go blow something up. I think that's the problem, too, is like we're talking about. So the reason I know that the reason that the judge went this direction, especially now looking at the data, I know that the reason the judge went this direction is because no judge wants their ruling overturned. Hmm. And precedence is what it is. And the fact that he was a little bit above average, if he had come in with a 20 year sentence, that would have been a statement but it also would have been a ruling that would be appealed and likely changed. Well, I'm not saying 20 yeah. year sentence, well, but, but I mean, come on. That's where, his, at least. that's where his head is. And it's because of precedence. But what you're talking about and it's what we're looking at and why everyone's talking about it was like, look, this was the point where we're actually setting precedence. We're setting yes. new precedence. Mm-hmm. Please. Can somebody do it? Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. let's make a statement and say, look, when you do this and we can't even calculate the way in which you have harmed the United States. Put a sanction on them. <laughs> like, I mean, I mean, sure. I mean, we, we can't do cruel and unusual punishment. So we have just one kind of statement to make with that. And, right. and it is, guess what? The new America, the, the up and coming um, Americans don't believe that he deserves fewer years than somebody who's on their second or third, you know, charged with marijuana possession, you right. know? And it's like, how we're we're seeing how unfair this is. So in a way, it's it's helpful because a number of people are like, "This is so fucked up." Yeah. How is this fair? And then as they start to walk through it with like and asking people questions, they hear like, "Well, a part of it was like the judge, but this is what makes it systematic. Mm-hmm. Right. It wasn't the person that was sitting at the uh, uh, you know in the chair with the robe making the decision. Exactly. You know, it was the it was at large. the system. Right. Yeah. I think we have time for one more news bit. Uh, do you want to talk about the um, for the people act? I would love to talk about the For the People (laughs) Act. Um, So on Friday, the House voted to pass the For the People Act. It's a sweeping package of proposals aimed at rooting out political corruption. To advance the bill, Democratic leaders had to work through more than 70 proposed amendments, which is a lot. Mm -hmm. Uh, Some were embraced, including several aimed at spotlighting questionable behavior in the Trump administration. Obviously, this is how it started in the first place. Uh, The Senate Majority Leader, however, Mitch McConnell, has been openly hostile to the anti-corruption package and uh, this week he made the, he made it clear that he would refuse even to bring it up to vote and I quote because I get to decide um, and so it's it's a very clear thing that's happening right now but why do why do we think like re- Republicans are so determined to block this because they're gonna be the veil will be revealed you know what I mean like all the years of of the corruption is it's is gonna come to a head and so many people are gonna be found out about so many people are gonna be attacked so they're just protecting themselves that's what I think if you have a big problem if you're a politician with a big problem with an anti-corruption package <laughs> mm-hmm. off here you know? yeah they're so like embrazened about it now too they're not even trying to make up fake reasons why they don't want this they're literally saying an anti-corruption bill is a democratic power grab which means like if you're trying to reduce corruption in the government we are saying bold face to your face that 
you're you just can't. trying to make it better for your party, right. which basically means there's less corruption <laughs> in your party. And they're saying it to the, I mean, like, this is, these are public statements going out. And we're like, this is just a power grab on the Democrat side. And it's like, an anti-corruption right. bill is a power grab? Yeah. That's, it's only a power grab for people who aren't corrupt. <laughs> yeah. Right. I mean, they're they're feeding into, so they only really care about, it feels like such rhetoric, but their base and who's going to vote for them and who's going to keep them in their jobs at, at the end of the day. And if they they know that their base believes in that the Democrats are bad and only out for, you know, if they believe and they, they're feeding in, essentially that's what they're feeding into. Um, and of course, but it's like, it's that dual thing where they, they're feeding into that. And also because that they know that they're in trouble. Right. And I think that, so the, the final question then would be, <clears throat> because there's something that we know, like we know that the House is is uh, Democratic right now, and that the Senate is Republican. And we also know that any kind of proposal of an act, like a series of bills, um, is going to have to be approved by both houses, and so I mean, in both chambers. And so we know it's not going to be approved in the Senate, and the House knew that it wasn't going to be approved in the Senate. So what actually? are they trying to do with this? They know it's not going to be passed into law, let alone get past Trump's desk, because it, he can easily just be like, no, I'm not signing this into law, uh, even if the Senate did pass it. So what's the, what's the point? I always think that things like this are just a distraction. Um, I hate to be so pessimistic, <laughs> um, but I'm a realist. And I feel like, you know, saying that we don't want some we don't want to look into anti we don't want to look into corruption is just simply saying, watch this while the corruption happens. Right. You know what I'm saying? So, right. nope, we're not going to do this. And it gives us something else to talk about while they go and be corrupt. But that's yeah. just my thoughts. I think I think for the Demo- I mean, the Democrats, they have a concrete thing to be like, well, we wanted to do this and look who's stopping us. And that, mm-hmm. that goes into elections and right. the voter base again. Right. Um, where... Because as long as, like, you know, they a lot of the arguments people make is like, oh, they're not doing anything or blah, blah. It's like, we're trying. Yeah. But look who's stopping us. I have a friend who made this argument about Schumer, actually, mm. because they were like, Schumer knows that he can just, like, support some really super progressive right. policy <laughs> without having to take responsibility for it being influenced. So, like, the, the individuals that he's beholden to in terms of donors, in terms of support in his right. voter base and things like that, that, that understand that he can talk about it all he wants. I mean, there, there's a communication happening that it's like, even yeah. like, even unspoken, like there's a mm-hmm. communication happening that's like, I'm going to say this, but we all know this isn't going to turn into law. So I'm going to, I need to put myself wow. out there as the champion yeah. for this because that way I'll get reelected. Mm-hmm. But d- don't worry. Don't worry. We're not going to. We're not going to take away your, your you know, revenue. Yeah. Sinister. Right. Well, that's about it for this week's Objection to the Rule. Uh, thanks for listening. Uh, tune in next week. We've got more news for you. And uh, stay tuned. We've got more great uh, Radio Free 